Hello and welcome to Fatal Femmes, a podcast surrounding the women of mystery. Each episode will focus on a mystery, suspense, or thriller written by or made famous by a female-identifying artist. We're your hosts, Laura Celeste and Lacey Kenny-Gonzalez. Stay tuned. In this episode, we'll be looking at the 2015 book, In a Dark, Dark Wood, written by Ruth Ware. We want to caution you that this episode is full of spoilers. The mystery and the killer will be revealed in the discussion of this book. So if you care about that, go read the book and come back. We'll be waiting. To get us started, here is a synopsis. Nora hasn't seen Claire for 10 years. Not since Nora walked out of school one day and never went back. Until out of the blue, an invitation to Claire's Hindu arrives. Is this a chance for Nora to finally put the past behind her? But something goes wrong. Very wrong. Some things can't stay secret forever. This episode has trigger warnings for suicide and gun violence. So as we mentioned in our last episode, Lacey's had a very intense mid-December. So she's not with us today, but I want to welcome my very special friend, Laura Ray. Hi, thank you so much. Laura, I'm really happy to be here. Thank you for being with us today. Laura and I met doing theater a number of years ago, but we both have a love for mystery books. So when I asked her if she would fill in for Lacey today, I was very excited when she accepted. Yes, we've had many a discussion about mystery thrillers, whodunits that we've loved over the years. I think this was actually one that you brought to my attention, so thank you for that. Oh, of course. Thank you. Uh, Tell us a little about yourself. Sure. Um, So yeah, I'm also Laura, and I've been living in Austin, Texas for, gosh, about 15 years now. That's crazy. Uh, and I, I work for a nonprofit full time, but I also I majored in theater in college, so I love theater and I also love film and obviously fiction as well. Um, and as Laura mentioned, she and I met um, years ago doing a, a musical together. Um, and yeah, so I, I was really excited when uh, Laura asked me to be on this episode because I love mysteries. Like, I don't know what happened. I turned 30 and all of a sudden I got like really into murder mysteries. I don't know what that says about me as a person, but (laughs) I became obsessed with murder. It is one of the highest selling types of fiction. That's true. (laughs) So I guess it's not just me. It's interesting. Obviously, this is talking about true crime, not fictional stories like we talk about, but the highest percentage of people that are interested in true crime is women. And I don't feel like that's much of a stretch into fictional crime as well. That's really interesting. I didn't realize that. That makes me feel better. It felt strange to be all of a sudden just very like uh, murder mysteries. And I do like true crime as well. Um, I've watched, I don't know if you watched the uh, Making a Murderer documentary series on Netflix. I've Um, heard that that's really good. Yes. I would recommend if you do like crime, true crime, mysteries. It's a great documentary series um, uh, and should still be available on Netflix. But that was around the time too that I was really getting into murder mysteries, both true crime and fiction. But yeah, it makes me feel better that a lot of people are in the same boat. (laughs) A friend of mine went to the true crime festival in Toronto this year and they said I think it's 70% of people that are interested in true crime are women. 
Heck yeah. <laughs> I feel like it has something to do with the fact, as women, I think we often feel the threat of danger everywhere. So it's kind of like being aware of, oh, this could possibly happen. So let me, not necessarily that we're thinking, oh, I'm going to study these other cases, but it's just kind of aware of like, so and how can this happen? That's a really good point. We are taught as women very young, um, for a reason, to be hyper aware of danger and that there are predators out there. I mean, it just reminded me that I remember taking a dance class in high school and one day we focused on how to walk so that you don't get attacked when you're walking by yourself. And that was like a whole focus of class one day. So they, our teacher taught us how to walk so that we would not be like a target for a predator. Um, so being very aware of your surroundings, um, holding your keys a certain way in your hand. Um, at the time I was like, oh, this is great. Thinking back on it, I'm like, that's terrifying that we have to be so conditioned to think that way. <laughs> and this was your dance team. Yeah, it was a dance class. We just took a day to focus on that, which again, now thinking about that, I'm like, that's so strange. But at the time it was just because it was all um, females in the class. So, and again, you know, not to to stray too far away from the book, but that does kind of just remind us how much, you know, there's this idea that when you're, you're the victim, it's like there's, oh, there's ways though that you can prevent being attacked rather than focus on the fact that there are people out there that are doing these predatory actions. Like it's, it's unfortunately something that I think is a problem and, you know, not just in just regular violence, but like sexual assault, as we know, um, it's, how can you like learn to protect yourself rather than, hey, how can we stop these people from doing these horrible things? Like, Yeah, the, the fault lies with the person perpetrating right, right. the Absolutely. violence. Absolutely. And I know that, you know, my, our teacher was just trying to protect us, like that her intentions were very good. Um, but yeah, it, it's just another example of like, hey, here's how you can protect yourself. Let's put the, the um, burden onto the, the potential victim versus like, oh, we have a big problem with uh, predatory behavior. But again, that's yeah. straying far <laughs> from the topic of this book. <laughs> so how did you find out about this book or what enticed you to pick it up and read it? Yeah, that's a great question. It's funny. I, th I think I mentioned this to you, Laura. Honestly, it was the cover of the book. So I was in, I think it was like just Barnes and Noble browsing and looking for something new to read. Um, and I was really at that point very into, um, mysteries, horror books, um, murder mysteries written by female authors with like a female protagonist. Those were my favorite. And I will admit that I started with Gone Girl. And like from there, I just like th that was the type of fiction that I knew was my favorite. So I saw this book on the shelf and the cover is just gorgeous. And the title is so intriguing in a dark, dark wood. So I was drawn to it. I read the back. I really liked the synopsis a lot. And I also liked the fact I hate to admit this, but I am swayed. Often if there's a lot of like really positive critic reviews on a book, that oftentimes will solidify my decision to invest my time in reading something. Was there one person in particular that gave the book a, a positive review that you were like, okay, this person said this is good, I'm going to pick it up? You know, I really love Reese Witherspoon. I always have. And they, they used one of her reviews like on the front cover. like, And she said that the book was very scary. And that to me um, was really enticing because I love scary movies. I love scary stories. And oftentimes mysteries, murder mysteries aren't necessarily scary. And so the fact that she said, 
I think the word scary really drew me in. And I, I, I like the books that she picks for her book club. I like her as, a, as an actor and a producer and a director. So Well, that makes sense then that she is going to produce the movie of this book. The film rights were optioned by New Line Cinema, and Reese Witherspoon is attached to produce the film. Woohoo! The screenplay is being written by Arasha ML. I'm sorry if I pronounced that very incorrectly. Um, I'm terrible with name pronunciation. That's why Lacey always gets to do that. (laughs) The things that he wrote, I haven't seen. A Private Life, Grace of Monaco, which I wanted to see. The Titan and Erased. So I don't know what his writing style is like. I think it's interesting that they got a man to adapt this story. Yeah, definitely. Anybody can write from any perspective as long as it's done well. But I just feel like this is female author female protagonist as a matter of fact mostly females in the story yeah almost all the characters are women mm-hmm. um it, it seems like maybe they would have gotten a female screenwriter mm-hmm. but this guy might be awesome yeah and hopefully maybe they'll get a female director which would be fantastic i think that would be really important but of course you know i think it's great that um reese witherspoon is gonna produce it i remember reading that one of the reasons i think I think this is correct. One of the reasons she wanted to make it into a movie is because there are so many female characters in the story. Really interesting, um, fleshed out female characters. So, so yeah, I'm really excited. I, I get a little nervous, but I do love it when books I enjoy are made into films or TV shows. The article that I read said that she's not set to star in it mm-hmm. as of yet. I don't know. Mm-hmm. What would you think? Here's the thing with age. You can play with it a little bit. But the main character, Nora, is, I think, 26 in the book. Yeah, they're all pretty young. Um, they're in their like mid-20s, uh, mid to late-20s, because they, they're they like a certain number of years out of college. And if they went to college at traditional ages, then they would need, you know, that makes sense that they would be in their mid to late-20s. While Reese is obviously still looks amazing. Absolutely. 26 isn't quite right but then they did that with amy adams in sharp objects because that character is supposed to be in her mid-20s too and amy adams is in her 40s i think man she looks so good oh she does yeah um i i actually had forgotten that um about sharp objects that that character was supposed to be younger she was so fantastic in that show so i totally forgot and it didn't seem like it was necessary for her to be younger these characters though Based on, you know, the plot and kind of the central aspect that they that Claire and Nora haven't seen each other in, I guess, 10 years. Yeah, it, it is interesting. You know, it would be interesting to have the characters be older. Not that it couldn't work, but I also don't know if she's just going to produce it and, and not be involved as um, an actor. I know she does that quite a bit with her production company, so she might want to take it on as a project but not necessarily want to be in it. Hey, you know what? I'm on board. If, you know, they wanted to make the characters older, I don't necessarily think that would hurt the story. Let's get into the book. Sounds good. Well, it opens with this really cool rhyme in the beginning. In a dark, dark wood was a dark, dark house. And in the dark, dark house, there was a dark, dark room. And in the dark, dark room, there was a dark, dark cupboard. And in the dark, dark box, there was a skeleton. (laughs) A traditional Halloween tale. And then we jump right into the book. It starts with Nora running through the woods. It just like plunges you in. There's none of this setup or anything. You're just, the first sentence is, I am running. (laughs) And then she's just talking about the branches ripping at her and the name James pounding inside her head. Mm -hmm. And is she too late? And it just grabs you from Mm -hmm. the start. Absolutely. And, And starts with a mystery because... Purposely, they don't make it clear what's going on. You just know that it's um, something really traumatic 
has happened or is happening, but you don't know any of the details yet. So yeah, it's, it's a great like beginning of a book because immediately as a reader, you want to know more. You want to understand what's going on. Yeah. Who are these people? Where is she? So I, I think that was very smart on her part. Mm-hmm. Like I said, it just, with movies or books or anything, they say if they don't have you in the first five minutes or five pages, then you're out. And that grabbed me from the beginning. Me too. And it's well done too. It's not just a ploy because I've read some books that do the same thing and it just doesn't work so well. Because the next chapter you get to know Nora a little bit and she's our protagonist and you learn about her life and this whole book is told from her perspective. Yeah. And we see that she lives alone in this very small flat. She says something about she can reach over from her bed and turn on the coffee pot. Mm-hmm. Which I'm thinking it must be like this itty bitty little efficiency Efficiency, apartment or else she just had the really bright idea of putting the coffee pot on her nightstand. (laughs) (laughs) Which, hey, as a coffee drinker, that sounds like a great idea. (laughs) I think she even says that she doesn't have a cat, that that's how much of a loner she is. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's just really emphasizing how she's pretty broken in the, you know, in the beginning of this. You see kind of how much her past has really affected her future life and how she interacts with people and the relationships or lack of relationships she has in her life. Yeah, it really kind of emphasizes how how alone she is. And she's a writer, so, uh, and not even on like, you know, a magazine or anything. She's a crime fiction writer, kind of like the author is. (laughs) (laughs) So again, sitting by yourself, in your apartment, a very solitary life. And she's checking the emails on her website, which is interesting. As a normal person, I think about, oh, if you know you had a website where people are emailing you or saying things about something you've done, that would be really cool. But she talks about how awkward it is and how all the weird messages she gets. And it just makes me think a little bit more about like celebrities when people come up to them and how much you would appreciate somebody saying, oh, your work has impacted me or I really love what you've done, but also how awkward as a person that is. Absolutely. Well, and I, I probably also has to do with the person themselves, like how how they handle the fame, if they're comfortable with it, where they are in their life personally. There's probably so many factors that go into how someone feels as a, as a celebrity of any level receiving, you know, quote unquote fan mail, yeah. I guess. And it makes me think too that while she makes a living doing this, that she's not a best-selling author or anything like that. Yeah, I, I feel like by her putting in the setting, her set her home as a you know, essentially a small efficiency that gives us the idea that, I mean, she could have just chosen to live very simply, but it could also mean, just as you mentioned, she's not making tons of money from her profession currently. Yeah, she she's not raking in those Stephen King books. There you go, yeah. <laughs> but she gets a message from this person that she's never met before, Flo, inviting mm-hmm. her to a Hindu <laughs> which almost when I'm saying it out loud almost sounds like a foreign language or something yeah yeah definitely because we call them bachelorette parties, bachelorette um, parties in, yeah. in the U.S. so I, re- I remember when I read the back I had to look up what a hen like gathering was because I didn't I didn't know at the time <laughs> I had heard it on some other British TV mm-hmm. show that I was watching before so I, I knew the term but it's just interesting to me that, you know, they have hen and stag parties where we have bachelor and bachelorette. Just one of those language things that mm-hmm. 
I wonder, like, right. why? Right, why? <laughs> Absolutely. Who knows? But yeah, so she's going, she's been invited to this hen weekend, which, again, that's pretty cool that somebody gets to have a whole, like, bachelorette weekend. That's the same thing I was thinking. I, I know... There are some people I know who have done a bachelorette weekends, but it's much more common in the United States to, to have like a night um, where you just go out dancing or, or do something um, for the evening versus a whole weekend. Yeah, it's, it's pretty exciting. <laughs> we rented a hotel room for Lacey's, but everybody was gone, you know, fairly early in the morning. Sure. And of course, the ones with kids and everything left that night. Right, of course. And we had dinner and then we made breakfast the next morning and that type of stuff. But yeah, most that I've been to are just a few hours, maybe until like 2 a.m. and then... Absolutely, definitely. Um, so yeah, this is definitely... It could be a, a, a normal... Um, maybe more common thing um, in England, but I know for sure in the United States it's not as common. At least not the people that I know. I, sh- I should say maybe I, you know, there might be plenty of people who've done like full week back bachelorette weekends, but not anyone that I'm familiar with. But when we get to know the host of the party a little bit more, that becomes a little bit more clear. Absolutely. So Flo is the host and she has emailed Nora to ask if she'll come to this party. Now this is a bit startling for Nora because she hasn't talked to the bride in 10 years. Mm -hmm. Nora was 16 when she left her hometown and other than her mom and Nina, who she kept in touch with. I don't think she's spoken to anybody from her hometown. No, it seems like she's been pretty isolated um, by choice. And so she doesn't know what to do. Nina was also invited to the party. So they make a pact that if one goes, the other will go. But if one says no, then the other one won't go. Which I think is a good choice because I can't imagine Nora going there on her own. No, I definitely think that if Nina hadn't, you know, if they hadn't made this pact, Nora would not have gone. I mean, she talks about how in in the course of the book how she almost didn't go I mean this was a a difficult decision for her to make and I can't imagine what it would have been like if she had been on her own so they decide to go to this party they get there on the day and it's in this really I mean I'd love to see the house it's like a giant glass box in the middle of nowhere absolutely and I think I've always thought it's very eerie. It's frightening to me personally when someplace has a lot of windows or like glass walls um, that are just open so that not only can you see out, but someone could see in very easily. That to me is, feels like, a, I, I, maybe it's because I'm more of a private person, but it feels like a, a big like invasion of privacy. But some people do really like that. They like to you know be able to see the outside, to have the sun in when the sun is out. But glass walls or windows to me, like, big glass windows in houses have always been kind of frightening. Well, Nora has a line because even the bathrooms have glass walls. Mm-hmm. But she said it's angled in a way where you're not supposed to be able to see into the shower because the house belongs to Flo's aunt. Mm-hmm. And she said she wondered about Flo's aunt. Are they exhibitionists? Because, mm-hmm. yeah, that does seem very disconcerting. Yes. Also, being a person who has lived near Tornado Alley in the United States for most of their life, glass buildings mean... High winds cut you to ribbons. So that was my first thing. Like, what if it breaks? Yeah, absolutely. That's a really good point. And can I just add, that's terrifying that you live close to Tornado Alley. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I, uh, one of the things I've always said is that I, I could never in my life live in Tornado Alley because I have an intense fear of strong storms and tornadoes. And we're not necessarily in the, living in the best place for that fear, but we're not 
directly in Tornado Alley, thankfully. Are you from Texas? I, I grew up outside of Houston. Okay. So, yeah, I feel like that's kind of part of living in Texas yeah. is that growing up with that fear of tornadoes. Yeah, definitely. Um, because they, it, it's not super common, but it definitely could happen. Again, we're not in an area where it's a constant threat. Um, but there were some years when I was younger where, uh, during El Nino, where it was it was really common for us to get tornado warnings. I've only come close to being in one once. It's when, a legitimate when, thing to be afraid of. Yeah. Because um, it could happen, definitely. Whereas earthquakes are something I've never worried about. Oh, never. So. In my life. I wouldn't even know what to do with myself. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this book has me. nothing to do with tornadoes. No, it doesn't. <laughs> Just to let everyone know. There's not a tornado in this book. Um, this is now our personal fear podcast. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Okay, so yeah, they get to the party and they're greeted by Flo, mm-hmm. who we find out right off the bat is just a little intense. Yeah, she's really intense. And type A to say the least. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and we meet the other guest. Tom is the one guy who's there. Mm-hmm. Melanie, she just had her baby, mm-hmm. so she is not comfortable being away from him. It's the first time, but Claire's not there yet. So we get to know the other guests through this time while we're waiting for Claire, which we've heard so much about already. Yes. And it was one of those things for me that it was like, okay, just waiting for like, her to get there. Who is Claire? Yeah, that's like that big question that was like hanging in the air. Because all we get is Nora's thoughts about her. Right. You know, how beautiful she is and how perfect and how she makes you feel so special and yes. how she can get away with all this stuff. But we also find out that she could not be very nice sometimes. Right. I, personally, I have, like, not fully, obviously, as, as we'll learn more about Claire, but I have known people that are similar to Claire in the sense that that person that you remember that everyone liked and that was sort of enchanting in every way. So even if, like, there were things about them you know, that were difficult or not likable, they could always, like, sweep people in with their charm. So I felt like I sort of was getting, like, a, a vision of Claire before we even actually met her. We know from Ware's descriptions that their relationship, Nora and Claire's relationship, was tainted for some reason. I mean, there's some reason that they they lost touch, you know, such a, a long time ago. And it was obviously a pretty big thing, which, it, you know, it's slowly revealed in the book. That was definitely something that she did, I know, on purpose. Like, she kind of left her reveal for last, like, us getting to meet her and, and see her and see Nora and uh, Claire together. Because it's pretty far in. Let's see. I have my book here that I'm flipping through a little bit. I think it's, it's like 50 or 60 pages before we actually meet Claire. Yeah who's just been this looming presence. Mm -hmm. One thing I think is interesting about the character of Nora is a lot of the things she used to describe Claire, she could also use to describe Nina. And these were her two best friends Mm -hmm. in high school. Absolutely. So what does that say about her, that she likes to hang out with these people who can be really nice to you, but also at any moment could say something very mean to you? Um, something that make you feel insecure or, or hit, hit, I guess, a, a trigger point for that person that would make them feel very insecure. Yeah, I don't know. I, I do think it, it does say a lot about Nora's own self-esteem. I feel like if, if you're spending time with people like that, often it can be because of your own insecurities. And, you know, sometimes uh, if someone 
someone's personality is, they're more, I don't want to say meek, but they're not as outgoing, as extroverted. It can be easy to be sort of taken under the wing of somebody who is an extrovert and can charm people and in a way that maybe you yourself can't. Again, I can relate to that from being younger. Like I would often have friends that were much more like extroverted than me that would sort of take me under their wing. (laughs) The difference that I get between Claire and Nina though is that Claire's can at times maybe be disingenuine. Yeah. Whereas she describes Nina as always saying things that are true whether they're kind or not absolutely so she's got the same temperament kind of Mm -hmm. but just one that you know you can trust and one that you may not be able to definitely that's a good way of distinguishing between the two characters and an an important distinction too um, as we come to learn more about each character (laughs) one thing that's really interesting to me too about this book and that i very much applaud ruth ware for doing she has two gay characters in there that's fantastic which is yeah really awesome you you don't see that very much you don't and especially having read a lot of mystery fiction even in this even in this year you know and 2018. Yeah, we just, we don't see that often. And I felt the same way. I thought that was really just, yeah, I applaud her for it as well. A fantastic choice. Yeah, it's just refreshing to see a larger cast of characters and they're not all white. Absolutely. Um, so there's diversity um, in, in many ways and that's also fantastic. And also, you know, is another reason that I'm excited to see this potentially put on screen. Yeah, there's just a, a lot of a, a potential for, um, yeah, more exposure LGBTQ characters and people of color. That's always a wonderful thing. There's even more that could be done with the casting. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, there's there's flexibility in a lot of ways. So yes, and correct me if I'm wrong. I don't. I just don't think that there's certain characters that would have to be Caucasian, either. The the only one that I could see would be Claire because they talk about you know her right. beautiful blonde hair and pale skin and stuff like that. But, absolutely. Yeah. Um, otherwise, yeah. And then Nina, I think, is Brazilian. I think um, you're right. Yeah, absolutely. They they talk about like gorgeous dark polished skin yeah anybody everybody else could be just yeah there's a lot of flexibility which is also fantastic that you know up to the, the casting director and the author and the director and the producer of course but that's also very exciting so production company listen to us <laughs> and we want to see a well diverse cast absolutely. in this movie absolutely absolutely we have a visitor <laughs> sorry my, my cat has interrupted that's okay <laughs> a special uh, inter- interruption from my cat willow who for some reason is like a dog and is very interested in people and wants to be a part of whatever's going on it's very uncat like of her i feel loves people again very much like a dog i think she's got dog in her (laughs) so we have the first bit of the party where people are introducing themselves flo's already i think had her first freak out at this point about something she keeps saying how this has to be the perfect night oh when she's introducing herself she doesn't really say anything about herself she just talks about how amazing claire is and how claire helped her and she almost starts crying Mm -hmm. and so we already get the feeling that flo might be a little unstable doesn't she dress like claire doesn't she like she sort of mimics claire in a lot of ways and in some ways that could almost feel like a little unhealthy, like, especially since her she's not really talking about herself ever. It's all kind of focused on Claire. Which, of course, yeah, it's Claire's, you know, hen party, bachelorette party. But still, for that to be your first introduction to a character, it's a little bit unnerving. Literally all she says about herself is her name and that she met Claire at university. Yeah. And then everything else she talks about is Claire. Yeah. Um, but the outfit she's wearing 
Nora says that she looks uncomfortable in it, like it doesn't quite fit her. Yeah. And then when Claire does show up, they're wearing the exact same That's outfit. That's what it was. Yeah, I thought so. I, I was trying to remember um, if if they were either dressed very similar or exactly alike. But yeah, very interesting. So we haven't even talked about yet about the interspersing chapters where Nora is in the hospital, doesn't remember how she got there, doesn't know what happened. Um, she's in a ton of pain. She's got this huge bruise on her shoulder, which it takes a little while, but she finally remembers is the kickback from a shotgun. Yes. You know, while that may not seem as weird to us in America, guns are not as prevalent in other parts of the world, so why would she be firing a gun? I mean, that would be a weird thing for me. Oh, me too. Yeah, I've never fired a gun before, so I would be really shocked to have that revelation that that's something that I had done. Fired a handgun one time years ago at a range, but never a shotgun. So if I had a giant shotgun bruise, it would be like, um, what have I been doing? What's going on? Yeah, absolutely. And one thing that I think is really funny. So we find out that there is a shotgun hanging in the living room of the house that they're staying in. Flo said that it's loaded with blanks and her aunt uses it to shoot at the rabbits that tear up her garden and tom the only guy at the party he has a line where he says it's very texany ah i remember that (laughs) and that that amused me yeah (laughs) it's true unfortunately (laughs) it's weird being from a small town you would think that would be something that i would see more often but i don't think i've ever been to anybody's house where they just had like their guns hanging around oh me neither and this actually reminds me of a very quick tangent. I studied abroad for a semester in England um, when I was in college, and I remember people were very fascinated that I was from Texas, and they had a lot of questions for me, like, did I own a horse? They were really concerned that I didn't have, like, a southern accent. Um, They assumed I was on a ranch. I mean, things that I think in some ways were, like, making jokes as well. Um, I don't think they necessarily thought everyone in Texas had a horse, um, had a gun, but it is interesting to, to, you know, think about what the stereotypes are, you know, even within the United States, different states have stereotypes, but then, you know, from another country's perspective, too, they were particularly disappointed that I had not ridden a horse at that point, and that I, again, didn't have a really thick southern drawl. I think that would have, I should have just showed up with the cowboy hat and just faked it, just to please them. That probably would have amused a lot of people. (laughs) (laughs) In the late 90s my parents had a friend from England come over and visit us and she was just amazed because at that time a lot of people still like carried their six shooters on their hips and you know had these giant like crocodile dundee style knives and stuff and of course that just blew her mind yeah I had a professor when I was in England who asked me in front of the class well what's it like living in a country where like anyone could have a gun and I just I you know I was 19 20 however old I was I hadn't really just hadn't thought about it in depth at that point. I mean, it's just something that I grew up with, I was used to. Particularly now, um, it's something I think about all the time. It's a topic we won't get into right now, because that's not what In a Dark Dark Wood is about. Back to the book. <laughs> <laughs> I can oh. feel myself, like, taking the topic very far off course, which is a huge discussion on that. So yes, we'll get back to the book. <laughs> now on our social commentary podcast. <laughs> that gun is really ominous, though. Like, I felt like that when I was reading the book, that the, there was a, a large gun that was, you know, quote unquote, only loaded with blanks, but it was just sitting there. You know, we're already in a really frightening setting, a very unnerving setting 
far away from civilization um, in the woods, isolated, and then there's a gun on the mantle. That's just very ominous. Yeah, it's (laughs) almost kind of like another character, just like I feel like the house and the woods are almost another character. They are, and Rupert does an amazing job describing the setting. Like, that's part of, to me, what made the book scary. Because I, when I read it the first time, I was scared, and a lot of it, I attribute that to the way she described the setting in which they were in. Well, it's almost written kind of like a slasher movie. It is. But yet not. Right. Did you read Final Girls by Riley Sager? I didn't, know. It it has a very similar kind of feel, and that's definitely a slasher movie in a book form. Sure. Because it's about these three girls who survive, you know, like Cabin in the Woods type things. Right. And so... And then they start dying. Oh, gotcha. So it kind of reminded me a little bit of that movie that you were in. Oh, Last Girl Standing. Yeah. Uh, Not to plug it or anything, but you can find Last Girl Standing on Amazon. If you're looking for a good horror film to rent, it's all Austin actors. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, I know a bunch of people in it. So check it out. (laughs) But it's it's that feel without all the the gore and, you know, people getting stabbed to death and stuff. Right. Spoiler alert, nobody gets stabbed to death in this book. (laughs) Yes, that is true. Spoiler alert, um, uh, that there's no stabbing. There's no stabbing, right? No, there's no stabbing. That's crazy. I feel like in in scary movies and books, there's often stabbing, and there's none in this. No, this is... A stab-free book. (laughs) Stab-free horror. (laughs) So we have this gun, we have the house, the dark, dark woods, Uh and so they're still waiting for Claire to get there. And it's starting to get dark, and Nora says that she wants to go for a run, which... She's a runner, and oh my gosh, is that not, like, the biggest... Is trope the right word? It's, like, it's the biggest, like, uh, I feel like so often in scary movies, scary books, scary plays, like, whatever, there is a female that loves to run. And I love to run as well, but that's always, like, let me go running in these woods. We're isolated from everyone. I don't really know a lot of these people very well. I'm going to go on a run by myself at night. That just seems to be, like... Yeah, (laughs) walking down the dark alley Mm -hmm. in your stiletto heels when you know the killer's out there. Right, absolutely. And we always have runners. And I feel like, yeah, we've been conditioned as... uh, Sorry, my cat, really quickly, is playing with the toy all of a sudden. So, yes, she she goes for a run. In the dark, again, somewhere where she doesn't know, through the woods. (laughs) She, on her way up, she meets Claire. Yeah. And Claire picks her up in the car and drives her the rest of the way. And this is when we find out that the James, James, James that she was talking about in the beginning is the James that Claire is going to marry. Dun, dun, dun. She said that she wanted to tell her in person. Which is like, really? I just want to say, when I read that, I was like, that's really screwed up. Like, you're going to bring this person that was your best friend that you haven't really spoken to in, what they say, 10 years. 10 years. To a secluded cabin in the woods. Not because, like, you're inviting her to the wedding or you, like, want her to be a part of your life again, but you feel like you need to tell her to her face where she's trapped for the weekend that, hey, by the way, I'm marrying your (laughs) ex-boyfriend. That you had, like, a really, like, you know, they were teenagers, but it was obviously a very, like, passionate love affair. I just thought that was really messed up. And Nina even says that. (laughs) She gets really mad at Claire and says... You take the person out for a drink and you say, this is it. Especially since they live in the same city. Absolutely. Or, honestly, you don't need to tell them to their face. I don't know. I feel like that, 
if, if you've lost touch with the person, like, let them have an opportunity to, like, not respond or, like, you know, maybe see an email or whatnot because you, you don't still have that relationship with that person. And it's embarrassing. Like, you're not giving them a chance to be like, oh, you know what? I'm not okay with it and I don't want to talk to you anymore. Like, you're sort of trapping them into... It feels very selfish. It's like, this is more for my benefit than it is for yours. It's to, like, relieve my own conscience. conscience. It's not about you at all. So I just, personally, when I read that, I was like, ugh. I just felt very angry at Claire, and I didn't really know her at, at all at that point, the character, except for what Nora has, like, the picture Nora has given us in her mind of her. She's one of those characters that you go up and down with a lot mm-hmm. because sometimes it seems like oh okay she's not that bad of a person right. and I think most of us have probably known somebody like this even if we weren't friends with them Definitely. almost always in school there's that you know popular person that everybody loves and that sometimes can be really amazing and sometimes not absolutely but yeah this is definitely a point where you're like boy Claire is not a nice person <laughs> Yeah, it just, it again, it felt very manipulative, and it felt very selfish. Like, again, it felt very much like, this is about me relieving my conscience. It's not about, like, I really wanted to, to make sure that you were okay and give you this news in person. And that was my reaction. Some people might have different reactions. You know, of course, Nora is also not perfect, too. Oh, um, yeah. And, and also, as a reader, we also wonder, like, man, this relationship happened when they were teenagers. Like, it sounds like it was very significant, but it does feel like, wow, she's holding on to the past a lot, and it makes you sad for her and really makes you, like, wish that she would just move on and hadn't been hanging on to this James guy, Mysterious James. Yeah, Mysterious James. (laughs) (laughs) Nora as an unreliable narrator, how do you feel about her? Yeah, so Nora as the unreliable narrator, I think she feels even more unreliable because of the fact that we we are jumping back and forth in time from her being in the hospital and literally not being able to remember why she's there and all the details of what happened, wondering if she had something to do with what happened. So we understand her memory of what happened and as the book starts and we're jumping back and forth in time is not clear. We also know she has this strong attachment still to James, even though it's been 10 years. And so that could be tainting some of how she feels about Claire, some of how she feels about the present situation. So it's really interesting because, you know, of course we sympathize with her, but we're also able to kind of step back and be like, well, this could even allow us to think that perhaps Nora does have something to do with what ends up happening, which I think is a great choice by Ruth Ware to make us feel like there's a, there's a motive. There's a reason that she could even potentially be the killer. And that's genius. I think making it so that like everybody could potentially be the killer, I think is always a really great author choice when you're doing murder mysteries. There were definitely times when I thought that she might have actually done it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, again, she has, she had a motive, which is why later on, of course, the detective uh, Lamar, she was like a prime suspect for a while. And there's a reason for it. You know, she had motive. And And she's not completely stable herself. Absolutely. She may not be quite as off it as Flo is, but she's definitely not in a good place. Not at all. Definitely. And again, I think you know, anyone that's been holding on to, like, in a relationship for that long and hasn't been able to move on, immediately we're, we're worried about her well-being and we're worried about her, you know, stability. And, and so that there's a lot of, again, a lot of reasons why she could have potentially been involved somehow. In- and I don't think she's told anybody the full story. No, no. We, I, we find that out, I think, near the end. Different people know little bits and pieces, but nobody besides her knows everything to have kept all that inside just to like sort of shut everyone out and just 
disappear and not have probably didn't go see a therapist like to unpack some of this and gosh that's like a lot to hold in you know yeah she's probably been suffering with depression and all kinds of stuff so she's got that going on yeah yeah absolutely and you just you you know you don't know what somebody's breaking point is definitely 100 percent. so claire has shown up immediately things start to get kind of off kilter melanie's having a freak out because there's no cell service yes and she's really worried about her baby tom brings out cocaine (laughs) they start doing shots which flo is unhappy about Mm -hmm. flo gets mad at them at one point and ends up breaking a plate yeah flo is very unstable i mean talk about unstable characters she is one again when you have a whodunit she's one that we're constantly getting like finger points like this woman is like really unstable and she's like we don't know a lot about her and she's here and she seems a little bit you know off balance and so I know she's one that I suspected for a while but then I was also like but she's so obvious so I'm always doing that with with whodunits where I'm like it's not going to be the most obvious one um but it could be also (laughs) but this was a book where I felt like she did a really good job of making everybody seem fairly obvious yes even the person who did it I suspected at one point yeah you know I was trying to remember I think I probably did as well I just think that I eventually moved on from that suspicion because it didn't linger in my mind but you're right um it's it's a great credit to Ruth Ware that everybody could have done it like everybody felt suspicious like they had motives to be to be the killer and there's there's not a huge cast of characters to pick from you know it's just the people at the party and one thing that I read about Ruth Ware. This was from an article in the New York Times. It said that her novels resemble classic locked door mysteries and she talks about how she was very much inspired by Agatha Christie and Josephine Tay and Dorothy L. Sayers and the Sherlock Holmes books. And she says, I didn't consciously channel that when I was writing, but when I finished and reread the book, I did suddenly realize how much this kind of structure owed to particularly Agatha Christie. She says, but I think the setting... The way it's a closed cast of characters definitely owes a debt to Christie. And I really like the, like, locked room mysteries. Do you like those? Yeah, and actually, I'm so glad you read that because I felt, when I was reading this book, I I felt so much like I was reading an Agatha Christie novel um, in present day. Um, It was the the way that she structures it. You're right, the closed door murder mystery um, where you have a group of characters. A lot of them don't know each other in an isolated setting, you know, away from civilization. It's gotten to be one of those characters, and it feels like it could potentially be any of them. I just recently saw a production of Mousetrap, Agatha Christie's Mousetrap at the Emily Ann Theater, and it was a wonderful production, and I had never seen Mousetrap before, and I will not reveal anything because it's really important not to about that story. But I will say that I felt, watching that play, I was like, oh my gosh, you know, having recently read In a Dark, Dark Wood, again, that the, this whole style is, is so similar to how Agatha Christie set up her, her plays and her books, and or a lot of them at least. Thank you for not revealing Of course that. never. I never would. I know how important it's not, it is to not reveal. <laughs> Agatha Christie's grandson got in a fight with Wikipedia because somebody put the solution oh. on there, and it was always her wish that no review or anything ever re- even a synopsis reveal who did it of course um they wouldn't take it down which <gasps> he was very upset about yeah um of but course. it was actually the second time we've mentioned mousetrap on one of our podcasts oh, that's so cool i love that play <laughs> me too 
the director of the, the show was really great about telling the cast too. please like do not tell like anyone about the reveal the ending the plot like it's really important it's the longest running play I believe uh, yeah it's been running 60 years right and they it's not possible to make a movie out of it because of the fact that it's, the reveal is so like important like so I love it I encourage anyone who can see like a local production of Mousetrap in their area to, to do it because it's a great story a um, really really good mystery one interesting thing in London there's still one original piece of the very first set it's a clock on the mantelpiece. How cool. Because of course, you know, all the other stuff has been replaced over the years, but they still have that one original clock. <laughs> That's amazing. That's so awesome. And, and back we, we go. <laughs> we digressed. But, oh. <laughs> but Agatha Christie, yes. yes. She has a very Agatha Christie style to her writing. And I, I say that as a, obviously a high compliment. I love Agatha Christie. Um, and it sucks the reader in. And I also felt like the way she, again, created the atmosphere, um, the setting felt like a character in and of itself, just like you mentioned. And I feel like that often happens in, in Christie's works as well. We have this big event where Nina makes a, com- a comment about they're playing Never Have I Ever. Mm-hmm. And she says, Never Have I Ever Slept with James. And at this point, I think Nora's upset, so she storms out, but also she has to throw up. Because she's had too much to drink and cocaine. Which are, yeah, bad things to mix. <laughs> yeah. <I've... laughs> or just to have in general. Don't have cocaine. Sorry. <laughs> I should have yeah. just said that. <laughs> I, I, I have never done it before. Neither have I. Really have no desire to, but I can't imagine how easily you would be able to make yourself sick mixing oh, that kind of stuff. sure. Absolutely. So the next morning she gets up before everybody else and goes for another run. She's exercising way too much for me. Man, I know. I'm like the commitment, you know? Like, you're you're on a weekend away. Melanie ends up leaving, so this dashes Nora's hopes of being able to leave. Mm-hmm. We start in on the day. They have all kinds of activities, one of which includes going to a shotgun range. For some reason, I guess Flo thought it would be fun as part of the bachelorette party to go shotgun shooting. Which is, again, well, here we are once again, like, setting Flo up to be this very, like, strange, <laughs> ominous, perhaps deadly character. Like, she's just, she's such an, she's odd in the sense, too, that I think she's the one that, like, nobody besides Claire has a connection with, right? Melanie knew her Melanie at knew school. Her. Okay, okay. But, but yeah. I, I was trying to remember if there was anybody else that had a connection to Flo, but yeah. And Melanie's also the one who told us that Flo had a breakdown third year oh, at university right. and dropped out. right. And Claire helped her through that. So that's why she's so obsessed with Claire. And Nora notices her phone is missing. Which is very strange. At this point, because of the snow that's happened, we have no cell phone reception at the house. None. We have no landline. So they are cut off from everybody out there. And there's these weird things have been happening. Uh, Nora noticed some footprints. I was going to say the footprints in the snow, which is, is very creepy. Yeah, especially since they're out in the middle of nowhere. Like and nobody should be, the way I guess they described the footprints, um, it just couldn't have been anyone else. And why would there be? Because they're out in the middle of nowhere. And then Flo tells this story about the original house that was there and how they didn't want her aunt to build this house. And she had to end up, keeping part of the original cottage and that the villagers tried to burn it down or some crazy, you know, like torch and pitchfork mm-hmm. mob thing, which of course freaks everybody out. Yeah. And they do, it's not a Ouija board. It's, it's it is, I think it's the Ouija board. Well, it's some sort of apparatus that writes. Oh. 
Oh, you're right. And yeah, they, it's they, not a traditional Ouija yeah. board. They do a seance in mm-hmm. this. But, like, I, I, that's another thing. I was like, why are we doing a seance? <laughs> yeah. It kind of. <laughs> like, on a bachelorette party. <laughs> Again, another, like, sign that something is, like, really wrong. Like, something is very wrong here. We should not be doing a seance at a bachelorette party when there's no cell phone res- service. There's no landline. <laughs> We've seen footprints in the snow. Things are not good. I don't know. It reminds me of, like, my 12th birthday where we did light as a feather, stiff as a board. Oh, that game was so scary. And so dumb, you know. Very dumb. As a child, I felt like it was so scary. Oh, yeah, <laughs> definitely. At one point, I stopped it because I was like, the devil's going to get us. <laughs> it feels very juvenile, and that's not to discredit seances or, you know, anything like that. The setting of the party and doing that, it feels kind of more like something you do as a teenager, not something that you do when you're celebrating that you're going to get married. It did not feel appropriate for a hen slash bachelorette weekend. It made it for a very, again, frightening scene. It didn't make a lot of sense given what they should be doing, which is just celebrating the fact that she's going to get married soon. Yeah. Having a good time, not freaking each other out. (laughs) Nina makes everybody mad by making it right, I think, tequila. Yes, and then somebody writes something about coffee, too. Oh, yeah, because they didn't have coffee. Oh, yeah, like buy coffee. (laughs) Which, if I were there, I will say as an avid coffee drinker, I would have been really stressed out about the fact that they needed coffee. So that would have been me, like, pushing in every way that we need coffee. (laughs) You know, it's funny. They say that tea actually has more caffeine in it than coffee does, but I don't get the same... Thing from tea. I love tea. I drink tea all the time, but it it doesn't wake me up the way coffee does. Me neither. I typically don't trust people that don't drink coffee. But I say that, adding that some people are allergic to caffeine, which completely makes sense, and or just really don't like the taste. But I joke to say that I don't I don't trust anybody (laughs) who doesn't live um, on caffeine, only because I am so wildly addictive addicted to caffeine. So it's not a good thing that I say that. But at least you're not drinking carbonated. It's true. I did stop sodas when I got really addicted to coffee. The next thing that this pen writes is murder. Yes. Which is so bizarre. Everyone was really astonished and freaked out at that point, I remember. Just weird things have been happening. Mm -hmm. Nobody's really having fun. And every time one little thing goes wrong, Flo starts crying and freaking out and screaming about how this has to be perfect. Which, of course, is the you know, the fastest way to make sure that nobody's having fun. Yeah, she gets really upset. I remember when somebody writes the buy coffee part. And, I mean, Claire has to calm her down. She's so upset. And that really unnerving. I remember that part in particular made me really suspicious of Flo. I was like, something is not right here. Either alone with Flo or between Flo and Claire's relationship. Because Claire, instead of being really shocked by her behavior, is more just like, it's going to be okay. They're going to be nice. Don't worry. And at that point, I was very, again, I was very concerned for Flo and her, like, stability. (laughs) By this time, they've already had a few, like, the incident with the footprints. And I think maybe there was more footprints. Something else threw people off. And they are all on their guard thinking about intruders. Right. And they are so isolated out there. There is no cell phone reception, no landline, which again, already make, you already feel isolated being in a cabin in the woods, but if you don't have any way to get in touch with the outside world, that's much 
more scary. Now, on this last night that they're going to be there, they wake up and there's a door that is open. So everybody's freaked out. They get it closed. They blame Nora because she was supposed to lock it. She says that she did. Mm -hmm. Everybody's upset. And then they hear something else. Something else happens. Flo grabs the shotgun. It's clear that there's someone in the house. Yes. Um, We don't know who it is. And if I'm remembering correctly, it's not revealed until after... Flo shoots the intruder, is that correct? Right. Okay. Flo is holding the shotgun, but Nora's standing right there beside her. Mm-hmm. So nobody can remember or is quite sure who actually fired. We find out the gun was loaded. Yes. There was no blanks in it. It was actual bullets, and the intruder is shot. Yes. And as Nina, who is a doctor, mm-hmm. runs To help the person, we find out that the person is James. Dun, dun, dun. So everybody's freaking out, of course. This is the first time that Nora has seen James in 10 years. years. He's bleeding to death. Mm -hmm. Claire's having a fit, and everybody's having a fit, and Flo is inconsolable. They bundle him up. Claire goes and pulls her car around, and they get him in the car. Somebody's, I believe it's Nora's going to go with them to, no, Nina's going to go with them. So that she can help on the way to the hospital. Right. Because they can't call an ambulance. And Claire takes off. Later on, we find out why, in the beginning, Nora's running through the woods. She's trying to catch Claire. We're jumping around a whole lot. Yeah. This missing phone that Nora's had, she found in her jacket pocket. Mm -hmm. In addition to the fact that Claire was supposed to take somebody with her to navigate and to help James, Nora now wants to talk to her about this. Right. She catches her. She runs through the forest trail. She catches her down at the road. Then they're in a car wreck. So, you know, James, he got the short end of this stick. He sure did. Yeah. Shot, car wreck, and he ends up dying. Of course, everybody now is a suspect of murder. And Nora's in the hospital. Mm -hmm. They're trying to get her to remember what happened. Claire is also in the hospital. She's in a coma. And then we find out that Flo tried to commit suicide. At this point, she is pulling through. But Nina tells her that the type of drugs that she took are ones that a lot of times it'll seem like everything's okay. And then in a few days, whatever internal damage they did will kill the person so she's very worried about her the police are discovering all this stuff they find this text on Nora's phone to James and it's revealed in a really interesting way because the detective Lamar has been questioning kind of Nora slowly and these like ways we're jumping back and forth from the the past to the present I mean in the present Lamar has been questioning Nora about certain things and it's revealed that she's a suspect when she t- she was like, please read these texts that are on your phone out loud to me. And they're texts from Nora's phone to James. And she reads them and they're pretty much, she's asking James to come like to the cabin, like no matter what. And he, in the text is like, did she tell you? Did C tell you? Claire, whoever responded from Nora's phone is like, yes, and I need to see you tonight, no matter what. So it becomes clear why James was there, or at least some of why James was there. But what we don't know is like how Nora's saying she didn't send these texts. So that means somebody else obviously had her phone. And her phone went missing, but Mm -hmm. of course that's very convenient. Right, and that's how the detectives feel, like... And she's like, oh, it could have been someone else. Somebody could have had my SIM card. And the detective's like, yeah, we know that, but these came from your phone. And the location of where these texts were sent from, like, it's clear that, like, you went up to where you could find service and sent these. Nora's adamant that she did not. 
and from our perspective as the audience, it's first person. It doesn't feel like she did either because she has no memory of doing that. And she, while she's been an unreliable narrator, at this point I was like trusting her. I was like, somebody took her phone. That's scary. <laughs> and and why? <laughs> and I think at this point I thought it was flow but yeah. i didn't know why me too i was really suspecting flow pretty hard at this point too she's been the most um unstable she has this undying devotion to claire but i didn't know why either i, I couldn't find like a really good motive yet but that's that's where my inclination was as well well nina and tom there was never really a strong reason no. but i did suspect them because it's like it could have been them yeah like i i was open to the fact that it could have been them because a lot of times in these whodunits there's things that maybe I missed as the reader that could have been like really big clues to it. And if as long as there's a really great motive at the end, I'll believe it. And the least likely person. So I'm going, okay, if, if it seems like there's absolutely no reason that Nina could do yeah. it, it's gotta be her. Cause she was just such a, a really great character. Like she was very awesome. Like really, you know, she's a doctor. She's, um, she's very loyal to, to Nora. Um, especially when she finds out what happened and what Claire did, did as far as inviting Nora there um, and being engaged to James. And she is very, like, she says it like it is in the sense that, like, she, like we talked about, she's not, sometimes not to her credit, she's not always thinking about what she says and how it's going to affect the other person, but she is very honest. For that, I admire her. So I liked her a lot. While I liked her a lot, I'm like, well, sometimes when you like a character a lot, they do end up somehow being the the murderer. So so I, I never really suspected Nina, but it would have been interesting if somehow there had been some clues that I had missed, perhaps. But it's not her. Yeah. <laughs> And we find out what really happened with Nora and James. Yeah. They were 15, 16? Yeah, 16. Right there. And Nora accidentally got pregnant. Mm -hmm. And so they were trying to decide if she was going to keep the baby or not. Mm -hmm. And she wanted to, and she thought that maybe James did too. But then she got a text from him saying he didn't want to talk to her anymore. Mm -hmm. He was breaking up with her. He wasn't ready. And for her not to try to talk to him or contact him in any way. And so that's why she was understandably so heartbroken. She never saw him again. Never. And she didn't, and she, you know, I guess respected the wishes of the text and, and never tried to reach out to him. She just assumed, you know, it's totally over. And for him to do that to me, to, to cut us off like that. I'm just going to do the same thing and just, like, you know, cut ties. She took her end-of-year exams mm -hmm. and left. Left. So I, I don't know if she even saw Claire again after that. And her mom then remarried and moved to Australia, so she just never went back. Never and went back, yeah. the only reason she reconnected with Nina was in London mm -hmm. years later. Yeah. This, you know, explains more about why she's been so hung up. Right. We do feel more sympathy once we under... I did as a, as a reader once we understood the full story with her and James, that it wasn't just a traditional, like, breakup heartbreak, um, that there was a lot more at stake, obviously. And then we find out the other side of the story. Claire was the one who had sent that text from James's phone, and then she sent a text from Claire's phone to James saying basically the same thing. The same thing. thing, like, don't contact me, I don't want to do this, um, you know, I, I need my space. Unfortunately, they both respected each other's wishes, which, you know, I say unfortunately because in this case it was all a lie. Right. <laughs> that leads us to the, the big reveal, which you guys are probably guessing at this point, that da, 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 Claire, it Claire did it. Claire did it. I, I thought this was really interesting because she's built as this, like, in, in Nora's eyes, too, this, like, kind of ideal woman in a lot of ways, you know, like, 
and I put ideal in quotes in the sense that she was beautiful and she was smart and charming and people liked her and she could usually get what she wanted you know we know from Claire's perspective a lot of her flaws as well but it was so interesting to, to find out that this was all her and it was all because of a man because she wanted James <laughs> she had said that she was going to get James yeah and she was set to be the lead in the school play mm-hmm. and she got mono or something yeah. like that that took her out for a while and Nora who was her understudy ended up taking over the part her and James fell in love (laughs) and Claire couldn't stand it that something she wanted Mm -hmm. went to somebody that she felt was lesser than her. Absolutely. And again, Claire's the kind of person who was very used to getting what she wanted and didn't handle the fact that in this case she did not. And And I, I think probably there was also probably a lot of jealousy too since her and Nora were such good friends and she was used to, especially in comparison to Nora, getting the things that she wanted that maybe Nora didn't always, you know, from her perspective. So in this case, I think there was probably a lot of jealousy that went into that as well. Oh, definitely. And then years later when Claire and James met, James's friend had James get Claire's number mm-hmm. and James told his friend that he didn't get it yeah. and called Claire himself. Right. So when he confessed this to Claire, Claire took it as a sign that he was willing to basically, like, lie and cheat to get her. And so she was like, oh, then I can tell him the truth and he'll, like, still want to be with me. And so she uses that opportunity to tell James everything. I should add that the reveal, how we find out, is Claire drugs uh, Nora. So she gives her tea that has, like, I guess like a painkiller in it or something. And she just confesses everything. So it's a lot of exposition. Like she just tells the the audience and Claire, or I mean, excuse me, and Nora everything that happened. Yeah, Claire has been in a coma up Mm -hmm. to this point, and nobody knows that she's been faking it. Yeah, and nobody knows this, so she sneaks out of the hospital. Nora goes back to the house Mm -hmm. because she knows that this is where Claire will go. Right, and they have this big showdown in this cold frozen house still isolated (laughs) yeah isolated there's no heat i think there's no electricity at the moment and there's extra spooky big hole in the window from the shotgun and so they're sitting there in the cold but there has to be some electricity because she made tea she did make tea that's true Uh, (laughs) but i just realized i just remember her talking about the house being dark and there being no heat yeah it was i think cold dark isolated still she reveals everything. Nora doesn't realize she's being drugged until it's too late. Right, um, which is dumb. You never drink. Don't ever drink something that your enemy gives you. <laughs> don't walk down the dark alley when the killer's after you, and don't eat or drink anything that your enemy gives you yeah. as they're revealing their all their evil schemes. I mean, come on. Yeah. <laughs> come on, Nora. To be fair, Nora's been through a lot, so. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> and I think she's also, like, probably like so shocked that she's taking all of this information in because she's finding out a lot of information about obviously how horrible Claire is and also about what really happened with James which has got to be such a shock and there's no chance now that they could get over this because he's dead yeah this person you thought was your friend basically kind of ruined your whole life she has drugged Nora she's told her that she's gonna kill her and explained why you know why she had to make sure that James died Oh, because the other... Right. That's a big, important plot point, too, is that she wanted she wanted James dead. And a lot of it, we realize, is because James got really upset when she 
told him what happened um, and what she did in order to make sure that he and Nora broke up. I should add also, I don't know if you touched on this, but Nora had an abortion. Um, so she did not, right? Is that correct? Yeah, she did. She had an abortion. Yeah. I think Claire took her to have the, the abortion. abortion. Yeah, so after realizing that, like, you know, they're, they're very young, and I think she was probably not sure if she wanted to keep the child, but hearing from James that that's not what he wanted, James, quote-unquote, which was actually Claire, she decides to have the abortion and i think claire really pushed her in that direction as well not only through the text but like in her like in person i'm sure she really encouraged her to do it once she tells james that she did this which she thinks is going to bring them closer together james because of the type of person that he is gets really upset yes and tells her that basically he can't marry her yes and that she needs to tell nora what happened and that the only way he might forgive her and they might have, be able to even salvage their relationship is if Claire admits to Nora what she did. And we find out because of the type of person Claire is, like she can't be at fault for anything, let alone something this large where it would cause them to stop their wedding, which would be so embarrassing for Claire. Everyone would find out and she would lose this like, you know, this image that she's portrayed that she's this like, perfect person um you know really seems to be the reason why she needs to make sure that you know James dies <laughs> yeah that's what Nora said that she realized that there was no way that James was going to make it out of this situation alive yeah, absolutely not that is why Claire orchestrates for James to come that night so rather than her like committing the murder herself she makes it so James comes thinking that Nora has been texting him and that she really needs to see him she says in the text, you owe me this. And so I'm sure James feels really guilty, like knowing kind of what has happened. And, and so he wants to make amends and, want, and, and, some, and he might also, you know, want to see uh, Nora again. So he feels like he needs to come. So he comes, he explains in the text, we see that he's going to have to come really, really late after his show, so, which is why he comes in the middle of the night. But he thinks it's okay for him to just come in because he thinks Nora is expecting him, which is why it seems like he's an intruder. He sneaks in the house in the middle of the night. He thinks Nora knows. She does not. Therefore, Flo shoots him. Um, and Claire replaced the blanks in the gun. She stole some ammunition from the shotgun range that they went to and absolutely. loaded the gun with the live ammunition and took out the blanks. And I think she even put them in Nora's jacket pocket. Absolutely. Like evil genius style, man. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, she planned this to the detail. To the T. Nora takes off running down our now familiar path yes. through the woods. She's drugged, so she's trying to make it. Um, and we know that she's, like, fighting. Like, you know, her adrenaline is keeping her moving, but she's drugged. Um, she does mention that she thinks it might be painkillers that she gave her because it's helping in the fact that she is in a lot of pain, but she's able to, to keep going. So she's like, while Claire was trying to, like, knock me out, in some ways this helps helps me to fight past the pain and to keep moving. So she's running. Claire's after her. Yeah, Claire chase. gets in her car. It's all replaying the night that James died. Yeah. Because Claire takes off in her car to yeah. try to cut her off. Yeah. Nora is running down the path. Claire is in another car accident. <laughs> but this time, it kills her. It does, yeah. Nora is able to be saved. They get her to the hospital and I yeah. guess, you know, pump her stomach to get the painkillers out or something. Whatever the, all the um, drugs were, yeah. Because the first time when Nora caught up to Claire, she actually got in the car. 
Claire ran in the car into a tree. Yep. And that's why Nora ended up in the hospital in the first place. Absolutely. Um, and now we know that Claire did that on purpose, obviously. Right. Um, to make sure that James didn't get to the hospital in time. Absolutely. And probably also Nora remembers, like she's remembering, realizes that Claire was not concerned about her like buckling with her seatbelt. She just like starts to rev like, you know, as fast as she can. So I think maybe she was also hoping that, oh, maybe this might not kill Nora as well. This could just kill two birds with one stone. Forgive that really awful expression. <laughs> but but, but you know, I mean, yeah, yeah, I mean. It all works out in the end. Yay. Yeah, and then um, it, it's clear that Nina and Nora are going to remain good friends. Um, she goes back and Nina gives her um, a ride back home with Jess and we get to see Jess and Nina together and it shows like just them holding hands and just there's like kind of like a sweet truly like um, stable happy relationship like near the end of the book which is really nice yeah. to, to get to see that and Nora gets to see it and it's clear again Nina's a good character they're gonna probably stay friends Nora will have somebody like a good friend in her life the ending is very very interesting like the last page I was rereading and you remember that guy Matt who is like a friend of I guess he was a friend of he was a friend of James, James and he comes to see Nora in the hospital and then he like you know they have that conversation about James and then he asks her like says like maybe we can get coffee sometime and there's like this feeling of like oh maybe this could be romantic we're not sure like it's like a taste of perhaps romance for the future and then she gets this email from him and she's like and I deciding what she's going to do and she like hovers over the delete button and then she hits click and that's the end of the book so we don't know if she hit click to be like reply like i'm gonna actually write or click delete i mean i think it was supposed to like hint it that she deleted it but i thought it by saying i hit click it could indicate that maybe she hit click to hit reply i honestly think that she she probably hit delete but i like that it was open-ended we don't know what she's gonna do if she hit delete in some ways it's great because honestly like I'm sure Matt's great. She probably needs to disconnect herself entirely from, like, her past. Like, whoosh sha you know? Well, and I feel like this isn't necessarily the best time to be starting a, a relationship. relationship. Yeah. Maybe she should, you know, like, I, I feel bad because she's been alone for a long time. Um, But she should grieve. She should probably go to therapy. She needs some time. Like, from any type of romantic relationship, she needs some time to... Again, to, I think, take care of herself. She needs to actually get over it. Get better, yeah. Especially now that she knows what really happened. happened. Oh my gosh, I hope she goes, she needs to to go to therapy, man. Like, she really, like, I'm advocating for that from Nora, this fictional character, so bad. So this book doesn't have super high ratings. It has 3.67 stars on Goodreads and 3.8 stars on Amazon. Oh, cool. So why was this a book that you were interested in talking about? Yeah, that's a great question. I think that, you know, when thinking about thrillers, mysteries that have a female author, a female protagonist, in this case also a female antagonist, which is really awesome, um, and a lot of just female characters that were interesting, and I think well fleshed out, it kind of immediately came to my mind. Um, It's the first book of Ruth Ware's that I've read, or it was the first book that I read. I also read A Woman in Cabin 10, um, and I'm in the process of reading The Lion Game. But I, I really, this one I really liked. I enjoyed Woman in Cabin 10, but not to the degree that I enjoyed In a Dark, Dark Wood. I think she did a great job creating a truly creepy, haunting atmosphere. She set up the whodunit really well, like we talked about, where each character potentially had a motive. And for me, I had a difficult time figuring out who did it. 
I, it didn't, it wasn't very clear to me from the beginning. And I owe that, I think, again, a lot of credit to that, or all the credit goes to the author. So yeah, that's the reason this one came to my mind. After I read Gone Girl, I got really into murder mysteries and thrillers written by women or with like a central female protagonist. And this is one that just stuck out in my head is one that I just really enjoyed. You know, it's, it's not perfect by any means, but I think it's a really, if you like scary stories, if you like thrillers, it's a it's a quick, fun, interesting read um, that had me on the edge of this, my seat. So I think that's that's kind of what drew me to it. Yeah, same thing. I liked this one. One for the time of year. Um, this episode is actually coming out on the winter solstice. Nice. So I wanted something to talk about that was kind of like dark and cold and creepy. And this is perfect. Also, this is a time of year where people are, there's a lot of like seasonal depression or people are really bogged down with things by the holidays. So I wanted something that would be a fun, fast paced read that you could do, but also, you know, it ties into that cold and gloomy winter feel. I really liked this one. It drew me in. I listened to it earlier this year and if you like audiobooks the uh, the reader is really good. I've heard she I was reading reviews of um, the audiobook and she's really a famous audiobook like recorder like she's done several other books and people just love her. They say she does amazing like voices and character work. So I'm now I'm really thinking I'm going to listen to the audiobook. I think her name is Imogen Church. Yes. I first heard her on the audiobook for Into the Water, which is another one that you'd really like. I need to read that one because um, I liked uh, Girl on a Train. She's read all of Ruth Ware's books oh, so far. Oh, cool. That's um, great. I don't know about the newest one. I have that one to listen to. So I listened to it earlier this year, and then I've been reading my actual physical copy, and it's good enough that it sucked me back into it, yes. even though it's only been like six months since I listened to it. Yes, definitely. And it's just the perfect thing for this time of year. And again, if you like thrillers, it's fast. It sucks you in from the beginning. It's, it's sort of like a train ride. Like you hop on and it's just going like from the beginning. And I, I always like that a lot. I've read some mysteries that I've liked but have been a little bit slower, and that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. I, I particularly enjoy when, when the thrillers sucks you in, and then it's just like you're on the train until the end. It's, it's fast-paced. So with the movies, we talk about the Bechtel test, but I feel like you can apply that to books as well. It's so funny you bring that up because I was thinking about how if this this might not pass. <laughs> it, it could, but there's such a focus on that central male James yeah that and they talk about him so much and so much of the conflict between Claire and Nora is because of James so there's so many great females but they are very focused on a man in a lot of their conversations so it is true but there are multiple character female characters that have names and yes. I know that at least in one scene Nina and Nora talk about Nina's partner Jess wonderful but I amended the Bechtel test just personally, where instead of just saying they talk about a man, I say a man or a love interest. Love interest, yeah. So in that case, they're still talking about a love I interest. Know, I know. I was actually just thinking about that today, that I, as much as I love this book, I don't know if it would pass the test. <laughs> because James, again, while, though he's only technically on, in, like physically in the story for like a very brief moment and he dies, like he is such, like he is like, the point of contention between Claire and Nora. He's talked about so much. He's in Nora's memories so much. He is such a center point. The whole, I mean, it's a bachelorette party because Claire and James are going to get married, apparently, you know, and so. Does it matter? Yeah, that's a great question. I feel like that's something I've thought about it because there's movies that I love that don't pass that test. Love. 
One of one of my favorite movies is When Harry Met Sally, and um, that movie does not pass the test because even though Meg Ryan and Carrie Fisher's characters have names, obviously, and they talk quite a bit, they have a relationship. They only ever talk about men, love interests, their relationships. It's hard because I love that movie, and I. Here's the thing. I think that the whole purpose of the test isn't that if a movie fails that test, it's bad, or if a book fails it, it's bad. It's just an important thing to be like aware of that 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 when they do pass the test, that's amazing and that's wonderful, and that means that we're kind of moving in a direction where more female stories are being told and and being more truthful to like the real female perspectives. Or I don't think it's bad if a movie or a book fails. Um, I think it's something that's important to recognize, and it could mean that the movie is bad or the book is bad. But I don't mean it, think it necessarily immediately means that this is not a good story. One of our guests on our Rebecca episode brought up the fact that there's a lot of movies that pass the Bechdel test but are still exceedingly sexist. That's true. That's a really good point. <laughs> of course. Absolutely. And I don't think it, again, immediately means that a movie is or a book is good or bad. It's just something important to be um, conscious of um, and to think about, too, as we're continuing to like write stories, write films, write plays. To, to be aware of, of that in order to you know make a story more fleshed out, more truthful, more interesting, um, it can be really helpful. So at Fatal Films, we look at mysteries created, starring, some way heavily influenced and created by female identifying authors. Why is this an important book for us to talk about? Yeah, I was trying to think, because important puts a lot of weight. You know, I think that the story in and of itself is not like revolutionary. I don't think that, I do think we've touched on the fact that, which is really great, that there is a kind of a diverse cast of characters and that there are two LGBTQ characters, which is fantastic. I think that does make it important. The story itself, again, I think it, it's not the most revolutionary story ever. It's interesting, it's exciting, it's fun. Something I liked about it is that there was both a female protagonist and a female antagonist. I always enjoy flawed female characters. I think that's flawed and complex. That's something that uh, I would, I I would love to continue to see more of in, in film and plays and television and, and books because we are we're all we're all human and often for a long time I feel like it was easier to see female characters that were very very good or like very very bad but not necessarily somewhere in between. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, and this book deals with a lot of things: mental health issues, does, yeah. relationships between women and different types of women you know issues of pregnancy abortion that's true getting over a relationship Mm -hmm. just there there's a lot of in-depth things that are talked about but presented in not such a heavy way right it is not a heavy book when you read it but yes there are things that that happen within the book that are very heavy but the read itself is 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 light i would say overall and sometimes it's easier for people to pick up on things and start thinking about it when it's presented in a way like this, that it's not like, oh, I'm reading a book about depression. Sure. it's It makes you think, but only because it's subtle and, I don't know, you know, there may even be things that people identify and are able to go, oh, hey, you know, I've done that. I mean, I've definitely had a relationship that I got hung up on for a while after it was over, not 10 years, but... Yeah, and you know, I I should add, I feel like I might have sounded kind of judgmental in the beginning when I said, ah, it's been 10 years. Um, I I honestly, especially, you know, especially once we find out why, but I honestly think heartbreak is so difficult, especially this was her first love. So I do want to add, like, heartbreak can take a a, a long time to get past, particularly, particularly if it's the first, your first love, but even not, like, everybody's different as far as, um, you know, how long something might take. 
for Nora, I think a lot of the issue too is I don't think she sought any help. I think she just bottled everything up, and that's probably part of the reason that it was so hard for her to move move forward with her life. You know, um, in in, in relationships. Obviously, she's working. She's moved forward with her life to some degree, but I think she hasn't been able to let people in because she was never able to like really yeah to to grieve to like to talk to a therapist probably we don't know it doesn't say but it doesn't seem like that she sought any mental health assistance so what grade would you give this a to f i liked it a lot i'm gonna say a minus and that's because i i really enjoyed it a lot i know it's not perfect but as far as like books that i've read in this genre it's one of the ones that sticks out to me and that i particularly enjoyed so i'm gonna go with a minus what about you i would say a b to a minus somewhere in there because i did really enjoy it and it's fast paced and the diversity of the characters is it perfect no would it work out in real life probably not (laughs) oh it's a little fantastical but but it's definitely fun it's you know, especially if you're reading a lot of mysteries, it can be easy with the thrillers in particular to just be like, ah, another one. But this sure. one, this one kept my attention and, and I really liked it. And unfortunately, I've read two of her other books and I just didn't care Feel the same for them. Yeah. yeah, I, you know, I didn't, I didn't dislike The Woman in Kevin 10, but I didn't have the same reaction as I had in, with in a dark dark wood after reading in a dark dark wood I like wanted to talk about it I was like excited it was really fun I really enjoyed it I thought there was a lot to praise about it woman in Kevin 10 um, it just took me longer to read and I think that that's also a testament if something if I read something really fast it's usually because I really like it a lot and if something takes me longer then that's typically a sign not always that it to me personally I'm not as invested I can see that yeah that's that's a valid point if somebody liked this what would you recommend they read or watch next one of the first books I read I think I mentioned was Gone Girl and then because I really loved Gone Girl I was interested in Jillian Flynn the author and so I read Sharp Objects and this was years ago like at least five years ago it was another one that I read in like two nights because I I was so fascinated. I was so absorbed. I could not put it down. It's a very disturbing book. I'll just go ahead and put that out there. Ever read the book or watched the HBO series? It's super disturbing. It it deals with a lot of like really difficult topics. So, you know, think about that before you go into it. It's not light. Like in in a dark, dark wood is super light compared to sharp objects. Um, uh, You've read sharp objects, right? Yeah, it has trigger warnings for like everything. uh, Self-harm, bullying, animal cruelty and just just if you have trigger warnings don't read it (laughs) yeah it was really difficult to read but I read it so fast because I was completely absorbed and so it was one of those books that I didn't necessarily right away like recommend to anyone because it is so disturbing and I wasn't sure how people would feel about it we watched the HBO series um, my husband and I that came out very recently starring Amy Adams I thought it was such a like brilliant example of bringing a book to screen now again it's a series so they were able to really like dive deep into things that as a movie you have to skim over a lot of stuff um so that is to its benefit but the director i think did a fantastic job the editing is incredible amy adams like it was like the best thing i've ever seen her do and it is very much a like female like anti-hero like she is a such a complex character she's had such a difficult life and she makes choices and you're like frustrated and confused but like you're with her anyways it's a great a great read it's a great series so 
that would be my recommendation is to read the book and then watch the HBO series. In my typical fashion, I have two for y'all. The movie The Invitation, directed by Karen Kasama, which, again, I'm sorry for messing up the pronunciation. I love this movie. I'm sorry to interrupt you, Laura. The movie is so good. I, like, heartily recommend that as well. It's about Will and his girlfriend, Kara, who go to the Hollywood Hills home of his ex-wife, Eden, who is hosting a dinner party with her new husband. And there they meet up with a whole bunch of old friends that they haven't seen in a while. And things are awkward and fun until the real reason for why they've all been invited there is revealed. Oh my gosh, this movie is so good. I've seen it, we own it, I've seen it multiple times. It is like a fantastic, I'm not going to spoil anything. It's a fantastic example of like a slow burn thriller. Like it, it's great. I loved it. So I'm just heartily like recommending it as well. (laughs) Another locked room mystery Mm -hmm. type thing and female director. Yes. Um, It was, I I will warn you that there is a scene in the beginning where a coyote gets killed and that almost made me stop watching it, but it was so highly recommended by a lot of people that I kept on and it's a very fascinating watch. Yes, and agreed. That, that it's a really disturbing. It's right at the beginning that Coyote getting killed. It is very symbolic, but it is if you can just get past that, you can even fast forward through it. It's not even totally necessary. Um, so if that's something that's really disturbing to you, but you want to see the movie, you could pass it up. And my other recommendation is Cross Her Heart by Sarah Pinborough. This was a really good thriller. It's it's a longer book and it's a little bit of a slower read, but the characters are very intriguing. It's about a mom and her daughter, the secrets that the mom has kept from her daughter that happened in the past. And this is very much one of those books where you can't accuse the author of trying to make her female characters likable. They make bad choices. There's a lot of despicable things that have happened. It's it's a little frustrating at times to be like, just tell me what's going on. But when you get to the end, it's worth it. I will give trigger warnings for this one for violence towards children. But yeah, it's very good. And I am currently listening to another one of her books, Behind Her Eyes, that is equally as like I can just feel how disturbing it's going to get and I don't even know how (laughs) awesome I haven't read either of those but now I'm like add them to my list (laughs) the ever growing to be read list it's too long (laughs) so where can we find you on social media so I don't have a Facebook I'm one of those like weird people that I got rid of my Facebook a couple of years ago as just a break and then I really liked it so I haven't been back but there's nothing wrong with Facebook. It was more, mostly because I um, I was spending way too much time on social media, I felt like. But I did keep my Instagram account. So my Instagram is just um, Laura Eliz, E-L-I-Z, Ray, R-A-Y. Um, that's my handle. And then I'm also on Twitter, but I don't do much on Twitter. Um, I just, like, repost political stuff. So my, my Twitter is not a lot of my own, like, personal, like, actual um, statements that I've made. I just, like, re- retweet a lot of things. <laughs> and again, Laura Ray is an actress, so if if you are in the Austin area, do you have any shows you're working on right now? Oh, that's really nice. Um, uh, so I'm going to be in a show. It's the company, Filigree Theater Company. Um, it runs in February in Austin. The play is When We Were Young and Unafraid by Sarah Treem. So I'm really looking forward to that. It's a wonderful play by a female playwright. So that's always fantastic. Lots of female characters in the show as well. And then I also, I, I could say, I have a website. It's it's www.lauraeliz.com. And 
Laura spelled the same way as me, L-A-U-R-A. Yes, thank you for um, <laughs> thank you for pointing that out because there are different ways to spell it. And I've also noticed that when I go to like to, to somewhere like a coffee shop and I'm ordering a drink or food, if I say Laura, which is how I say my name, sometimes they, they hear Nora or they hear something. Laura. Um, they don't often hear Laura, which I just, I just always have said my name to where it sounds like there's an O in my name. People always think I say Mara, M-A-R-A. Yep, I've gotten that before as well. So I, I, which is a very pretty name. I'm like, that's a great name. Yeah, it's just not my name. It's just not my name. <laughs> um, but yeah, and make sure that you check out her movie Last Girl Standing on Amazon. We want to thank our person of interest this week, the anonymous person who left us a five star rating on iTunes. Thank you very much, anonymous person. Thank you very much for being with us today and filling in for Lacey. It's been great having you. Oh, thank you, Laura and Lacey. Um, I love both Laura and Lacey. I've been friends with them for a while, and I was super excited when Laura reached out to me um, to be a part of it. So thank you again. Oh, thank you. Here is a clue for our next episode. It's a good spot. I used to come here with my girl when I was a kid. It's more frightening than romantic. It's the way love is when you're young. Life is when you're older. Our next episode will be taking place during the most wonderful time of year, Laura Annuary. Ah! Is your birthday in January? My birthday is in January. So yes, we will be celebrating. Also, our next episode will focus on a theme that will come into play later in the month as well and some news that I'm very excited about. So y'all have a very happy holidays and a wonderful new year and we'll see you on the other side. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of Fatal Femmes. To keep up with us, please follow us on Twitter at Fatal underscore Femmes. Have a suggestion or comment for the show? Shoot us an email at fatalfemspodcast at gmail.com. While you're at it, make sure to subscribe and rate us on iTunes. We hope you enjoyed today's episode because if you didn't, we'll find you. Thanks for listening.